Hello and welcome to Crack Encrypteds and Curios. This is Matt once again joined by Angel. Now Angel, before we delve deep to once again attempt to find the most curious curio in existence, a task we had seemingly abandoned for a year or so for some unknown reason, I wanted to bring up something that is fast approaching. That thing, Angel, is your self-proclaimed favorite season of the year, summer. The reason you call this your favorite season is not because of the weather, since you pretty much get pelted with hurricanes during the entire thing. It is because you enter a phase of the year which you call Angel Speaks Frankly. Now, contrary to what the idiom speaks frankly means, you in no way spend your entire summer speaking in a more straightforward or candid manner, because that would be absurd to do for one season out of the year. No. Angel, what you mean by speaking frankly is that you, from the summer solstice to the autumnal equinox, mark the only time of the year that you can eat hot dogs, or what you refer to as franks. When you say to those around you that you are going to speak frankly, everyone knows you are about to grab some franks and start chowing down. Why? Do you love franks so much, and why limit yourself to eating them only in summer? This is a story I haven't told you before. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I, first of all, I love franks. I've always loved them. So growing up, I'd eat them every day. Like I tell my I daily tell my, daily dogs. I t- daily dogs. I'd always tell my my parents I want hot dogs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they thought they would punish me by doing that and then thinking <laughs> I'm going to you more. Yeah, they're going to think, oh, he's going to get sick of this. But I did not. And it it went on for at least two weeks. And they're like, we can't keep this up anymore. <laughs> and so then they started adding stuff to the, the Franks to make them taste weird. And so I thought maybe, <laughs> oh, maybe I, I don't like hot dogs anymore. So I had to like limit them because I'm like this doesn't taste right anymore. So I think they leave them out like for days, like <laughs> in the are sun. They trying to poison you? I, I I don't know. I don't know what my parents did. You know, there's a lot of Tupac playing in those days. <laughs> <laughs> Where is the best place to eat a hot dog or a frank, as you say, in your opinion? In my backyard, on a hammock. In the jungle back there? (laughs) Three years ago, you went through a stage where you only ate turkey dogs, claiming that the typical hot dog, which contains pork, beef, and chicken, should be called a Frankenstein. A reference, of course, to Mary Shelley's Dr. Frankenstein, who mishmashes body parts of dead people to make what some would refer to as a monster. And you would always follow that reference up by saying, it is the doctor, not the monster, and that... (laughs) And that is why they are called Frankensteins and not monster dogs. What was the catalyst that made you stay away from Frankensteins? And why are you back to eating Frankensteins? Well, quite frankly, (laughs) turkey, uh, the time I started eating turkey dogs was um, a medical issue. The doctor told me I had to limit my consumption. Yeah. So I just said, well, I'll I'll do turkey dog for for a while. But then I stopped seeing the doctor. So I don't know. I I went back on. Still alive. Yeah. That's what three years ago. (laughs) 
Do you have any suggestions for anyone out there that wants to improve their hot dog enjoyment? Any tricks of the trade, so to speak? Oh, yes. Um, don't eat them with a bun, hot dog bun. Like, that ruins it. The best, the best thing you can do is you have a cooked hot dog or Frank and you dip it in some Coca-Cola and then you eat it like that. Why? <laughs> what do you mean why? It tastes great. <laughs> Sometimes I like to cut up the Frank into little chunks and just throw them all in the soda and I just drink it like that. And then you eat the, the Frank chunks at the bottom? Yes. It's kind of a variation of, of Coke and Peanuts. Mm-hmm. Yep. But with Franks. <laughs> Franks. Frank and Coke. There is a rumor that you drink the hot dog water after it's <laughs> after they're done boiling. Is that true? Um, why wouldn't I? I mean, it's got full of nutrients. It's got that nice film on the top. That film is all healthy. My body absorbs it all and makes use of all of its properties. It's science. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. But one trick of the trade that inventor Wolfgang von Kempelen did not share was how his 18th century invention known as the Mechanical Turk worked. That's right, Angel. We are making our long-awaited return to researching a curious item, something we have not done since season two over a year ago. Back then, we saw some real goodies, like the cursed paintings, crystal skulls, the Bassano vase. You remember that one? <laughs> and even the friggin' monoliths. Before we add this curious, before we, before we add this curious item to the list, is there a favorite curio we have looked at so far that has set your own personal bar that the Mechanical Turk needs to beat? Well, yeah, you said it. The cursed paintings are. <laughs> My absolute favorite. No matter where they are, something catches fire. And I feel like the Mechanical Turk needs to be able to do something similar. Oh, I thought you were going to suggest putting the cursed paintings around the Mechanical Turk so it caught fire. <laughs> no, 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 no. But if anything, it would protect the Turk from from vandals. <laughs> what? With, like, the vandals catch on fire? Like yes. the, the Mona Lisa cake guy? <laughs> <laughs> yes just it, it wards them away <laughs> the cursed <clears throat> paintings are just wards warding spells <laughs> for those who are unaware the mechanical turk was supposedly a machine that could play chess against people while that may not sound too exciting at first this was all the way back in the 1770s angel this is about 100 years before possibly the most well-known man versus machine story that of john henry versus the steam drill and in that one john henry won but allegedly taxed his body so much he died of a heart attack soon after can you explain a scenario where an automaton chess player causes someone to die I think if the play the human player berates the mechanical automaton enough, he might just reach out and choke the person. Yes. Put its metal hand <laughs> through their skull. <laughs> yeah. I mean anything mechanical is, is supposed to be super strong. I learned that from T V and movies. <laughs> they can crush our meatbag bodies. <laughs> As they call us meatbags. <laughs> <laughs> Could uh, could you give us a description of what the Mechanical Turk 
looks like. So we can all picture the same thing as we voyage through this story. Well, the the Mechanical Turk is is it's an all-in-one ensemble. It's like a it's a box that's made to look like a kind of a desk that's got some cabinets or, or drawers. Inside there's like uh the the cabinets there's like gears and stuff like fancy looking mechanical things. And on the top of the desk is a chessboard. And there's also like a mannequin, a half mannequin. I think it's like the upper torso of a, mm-hmm. of a I guess, a Turk. Right? He's got a turban. Is that, I think? Yeah, it has like the traditional Turkish headdress. Yeah, and, and then arms. And I think one arm, he has a really long pipe <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> because I guess, I guess Turks smoke. Yep, out of long pipes, <laughs> like Gandalf, <laughs> but like three times longer. <laughs> the The way I envision it is basically to take the mechanical fortune teller guy that is in a glass case, take him out of the case, and put him in front of a chess table, and you have the mechanical Turk. Yep. Before we venture forth, though, we have an extremely important pit stop to make. I am, of course, speaking of the Season 5 breakout hit known as Angel's TikTok or Angel's Temporal Incident Conversational Talk Openly Corner. We find ourselves in the year 1770. What is your favorite thing that occurred that year beyond the creation of the Mechanical Turk? Let me tell you, a lot of things happened this year. There are so many to choose from. It was a good year. Good year. I chose one that I felt was a bit innocuous, but as I dug deeper, it kind of unveiled something more sinister. Ooh. Tell uh, me more. So, starting from the wiki page on, on the year 1770, in the October-December section, in November 14, it states that James Bruce discovers what he believes to be the source of the Nile. That is the Nile River. The source. The source. The, the source. The source. <laughs> no one knew where it was before 1770? No, nobody knew where the source was, apparently. And James Bruce, um, Scottish traveler and travel writer, was the one to discover this whole thing in 1770. According to his Wikipedia page, it goes on to say that James Bruce... Confirm the source of the Blue Nile, which is kind of different from the mm. source of the Nile. So, mm. for those of you that don't know, the there's two smaller rivers called the White Nile and the Blue Nile, and they feed into the larger Nile River. I think they call them tributaries. So, there's many v- tributaries that go into the main Nile River. So, right there, there's that discrepancy of did James Bruce discover the source of the Nile or was it the source of the Blue Nile? That's a little off, you know, but then I got to thinking, wait a minute. Uh, There's a few other sources say that Pedro Paez was actually the one who discovered the source of the Blue Nile back in 1618. So why is James Bruce being credited for this? Uh, So it goes (laughs) only only nine years after uh, Samuel de Champlain. Found uh, Lake Champlain. That's right. So so it goes on to say that James Bruce disputed Pies' claim 
and suggested that the relevant passage in Pius's memoirs had been fabricated by Athanasius Kircher. What the hell is that? <laughs> Some other dude, I guess. Um, it also says that another, uh, the source of the Blue Nile was also, was again visited by uh, the Portuguese missionary Geronimo Lobo in 1629. And Bruce also sought to discredit his writings as well. So, so James, so James Bruce is like around the damn Nile. <laughs> James Bruce is like, I'm the one who s- discovered the true source. These people were liars. They, they clearly didn't do it. He's trying to take all the credit for some reason. But it goes on to say um, that the more recent research has shown that Lobel's description of the source was perfect, perfectly correct in details. Bruce went as far as to claim wrongly that Lobo seemed to be able to sail on land and also denied the existence of a spitting cobra described by Lobo. So, so <laughs> that thing's not real. <laughs> so Bruce, Bruce took a gamble and he said, a spitting cobra. Those, that's not a real thing. I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> say that. Stupid not, idiot. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say he invented that. It's <laughs> calling these things cryptids out there. <laughs> so, so I guess because he's been credited as as finding the source of the Blue Nile, there's still the question of, well, then who discovered the source of the original, the whole Nile? So it turns out that this has been a thing for many years, apparently. Lots of people... A hotly debated item. Hotly debated. So apparently by the 1850s, people were like, uh, lots of explorers were trying to figure out the source of the Nile. Um David Livingstone, Henry M. Stanley, and Heinrich Barth became national heroes, it says. My God. I believe Livingstone died <laughs> when, when, while trying to search Looking for, for it? Yeah. <laughs> Bummer. Um, I had it somewhere, but I lost it. Anyway, Richard Burton and John H. Speakey, or Specky, uh, debated over the source of the Nile, and this led to the suspected suicide of Specky, who was later proven correct. So, Whoa. <laughs> I don't, um, why was this so important to anyone to find the the source of the Nile? That is that is a very good question, which I guarantee somebody else found long before them, and just never wrote it down. So, so it's interesting that you say that because all these European explorers are all fighting over each other, trying to figure out the source of the Nile, and I guess I'm sure there's the, people living there, the source of the Blue Nile, and all these <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah. So it turns. So let's just get it straight. The Blue Nile source is some in some place in Ethiopia. I mm-hmm. I'm not gonna bother looking for that. Anyone can look that up. So all these articles talk about all these things, and I finally found the one that that highlighted the thing that I was looking for. There's this little section that says, European madness and African knowledge. Explorers' accounts of their travels downplayed the assistance they received from African guides, leaders, and even slave traders. They also presented themselves as calm, cool, and collected leaders, masterfully directing their porters across unknown lands. The reality was that they were often following existing routes and, as Johann Fabian showed, were disoriented disoriented by fevers, drugs, and cultural (laughs) encounters that that went against everything they expected to find in so-called savage Africa. (laughs) They're like, where are the dinosaurs? (laughs) Readers and historians believed explorers' accounts, though, 
And it was not until recent years that people began to recognize the critical role that Africans and African knowledge played in the exploration of Africa. So to pretty much summarize, the source of the Nile was probably already known by Africans and somehow this was completely ignored and everyone, all the Europeans are like, oh, we're trying to find the source and they're all getting the credit for it. The end. <laughs> My God, what a ride. What a wild ride. I chose a different route. I chose July 1st, 1771. Lexell's Comet came within 1,400,000 miles or 2,200,000 kilometers of the Earth. It was on June 14th of 1770 that astronomer Charles Messier discovered the comet and then it just disappeared and has never been seen again. Nine years later, Anders Lexell calculated the trajectory of the comet, which was eventually named after him, and this comet holds the title for being the closest observable comet in history. Put yourself in the shoes of Charles Messier, Angel. You discovered this comet, a comet that had it actually impacted the Earth, would have resulted in global destruction, <laughs> and then it gets named after a dude who did some math nine years later. In order to put myself in the shoes of Charles Messier, I had to look him up and learn a little bit about him. This man was obsessed with astronomy. In fact, he was obsessed with actually discovering a comet. He wanted a comet to be named after him. Uh, um, it was his life's goal? It was his life's goal. The article I, I saw said something like he was so obsessed that he became so depressed when somebody else got a comet named after them that he started you know, searching for comets in the sky and he would not leave his telescope even when his wife was on her deathbed. <laughs> She's like, I can't, I can't leave. I gotta look for the comets. One might pass by. <laughs> yeah. So in the end, I'm Charles Mezier. This guy, uh, 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 uh gets the, the comet named after him. It doesn't matter because Charles Mezier or I, in this case, End up discovering 44 other comets. <laughs> 44? What? <laughs> Did, uh, are 43 of them named after him? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, so, so this is the other thing I started looking into, the naming of the comets. I'm like, wait a minute. Was this the name of the comet at the time? Or was it a name we gave it now? Later because, on, yeah. Because I'm looking at the naming situation. It's also kind of vague. Uh, once one source said that around this time period, actually the name, the comets names would be, uh, named after the year they were discovered, but then it was later that they started getting named after the person. And I couldn't find anything that referred to Lexel's comet as Lexel's comet other than one talking about it now. So mm -hmm. I have no idea if even Messier <laughs> knew that this was named after Lexel mm -hmm. or, or even, even if Lexel did. Yeah, if you know. So then if they didn't really name him by names, why was he so obsessed with having one named after him? I'm thinking maybe <laughs> they named him after them, the discoverer in that time period. But now mm -hmm. that they didn't keep records, they were yeah. just like, well, what do we name them? Us modern people. They're like, oh, just call it the year that it was discovered. Yeah. It's like, your your powers are not recognized here, Messier. <laughs> we're going with Lexel. <laughs> I mean, at least his name has been recorded in history, so I guess that mm -hmm. somewhat helps. Hey, he found 44 of them. <laughs> Bang up job. It's 44 more than I found. <laughs> so this, all of this reminded me of research I had done 
for a pet project of mine, Angel, a movie script for a zombie movie involving a comet, so you know that <laughs> near and dear to your heart. In 1528, French physician Ambrose Parr described a comet as, This comet was so horrible, so frightful, and it produced such great terror that some died of fear and others fell sick. It appeared to be of extreme length and was the color of blood. Is there anything you can think of that if people of today would just see it in the sky, it would cause such terror that people died of fear? I don't know if I could... I feel like, uh, at least us in the States, we're all so jaded and cynical (laughs) that nothing will frighten us anymore at that point. But then I also wonder, would we even see the thing if we've never seen something like this before? You know, because it's mm-hmm. so outside of our frame. Are you talking about the <laughs> the natives and, yes. and the boats? Yes. <laughs> Those goddamn boats. <laughs> they didn't see them. It's like if yeah, the natives didn't see, the see them, then mm-hmm. they, like, why weren't they afraid of these ships? Because they didn't see them. <laughs> yeah, they had no reference of fear. <laughs> it all makes sense now. <laughs> With with some context of other things that were going on in the 1770s, let us now leave this pit stop, which was more of a, a major destination, and merge <laughs> onto the Mechanical Turk Superhighway at the breakneck speeds of an 18th century chess game. Queen to King's Rook 5, Angel. Are you ready? Checkmate. Yes. Let's say it. <laughs> Was there a, a mishap there? What do you mean? I didn't hear anything. We said you said yes. Oh, you didn't After hear? A long pause. No. I said checkmate. No, I didn't hear that. <laughs> checkmate. What? <laughs> How'd I miss it? Oh, man, I had it so well planned, too. <laughs> You're like six moves ahead of me. We can't keep the mechanical Turk waiting any longer, so let's take a seat across the automaton, admire its... Turkish fashion and attempt to outplay <coughs> oh, outplay the supposed artificial intelligence from the 1700s. We, however, have something up our sleeve, Angel. Something Mechanical Turk can't compute for. Something it doesn't even know we can do. If things get bad, we can unleash our trap card. Cotton Eye Joe's Razor, the axiom which states... For the mechanical Turk to have come from somewhere, it must therefore go somewhere. So where did this automaton chess player come from? In the book Observations on the Automaton Chess Player, written by apparently an unknown Oxford graduate in 1819, which, Angel, at the time you could buy this book for a shilling. But what a bunch of clowns they were because Google Books has it digitalized and we can now read it for free (laughs) 203 years later. Losers. (laughs) Our unknown author starts with a bang. Something, I know you're going to love, Angel, the science of mechanics is one of those in which the ingenuity of modern artists appears with superior advantage. The ancients, with the single exception of Archimedes, had but an imperfect knowledge of the mysteries of this science as their attempts in the construction of instruments for marking time and of the organ sufficiently prove. Your boy, Archimedes, returns and is now being praised as the singular ancient mind who is on par with modern scientists. What do you make of that? Sounds like a survivor bias to me. Survivor bias? (laughs) I think that's the term. 
survivor. Who survived? Archimedes. What about all what the genies? Wasn't he like stabbed by a guy with a <laughs> sword? <laughs> I mean, and then everyone I, was angry. I mean, uh, like uh, all the geniuses that existed around oh. his time, they were forgotten. But Archimedes, mm-hmm. he stuff. just happened. Yep, yeah. his name yeah. just happened to be remembered. Yeah. Because he had a little owl that talked to him. <laughs> he no, he was the owl in, in, in uh, Sword and Stone. <laughs> Another movie reference. <laughs> I got one coming up, too. <laughs> the author throws down the gauntlet of automatons that the Mechanical Turk has to contest with to show its true superiority of the day. In true gauntlet fashion, we will now see, Angel, who the top contender is. First up, we have the flute player of Monsieur de Vacanson, created by Jacques Vacanson, who helped keep the entire Industrial Revolution going with inventing the first metal lathe. So we got our hands on a mega genius like like Archimedes. The flute player has a life-size shepherd that could play the tabor and the pipe. So basically a flute in one hand and a snare drum in the other. It could play... 12 songs, Angel. That's 12 more than I know how to play. Do you have an opinion on the flute player? I mean, getting flute a flute to sound is is kind of... You need air to flow through it, so that already is impressive. I mean, yeah, you could do that with a pipe organ, but to make it... Like, is is this like a, a human figure like the the, yeah, the left, side, left side shepherd. Yeah, so yeah, that's that to me is impressive. And then he's playing a drum, snare drum. A drum and 12 time. songs, yeah. <laughs> he knew 12 songs. So that's our first contestant. Our first opposition in this gauntlet for the flute player is the trumpeter of Malzell. In an ad from 1826 for an exhibition of Johann Malzell's automatons, the trumpeter is described as the trumpeter is of a full size and dressed in the uniform of the French lancers. The pieces executed by this automaton are performed with a distinctness and precision unattainable by the best living performers. The measurement of the time being from the nature of the mechanism absolutely perfect. In double tonguing, his superiority is particularly manifested and not only in the clearness of the tones, but also in the number of the notes which are sounded. All the sounds are actually produced in the trumpet, there being no pipes whatever within the figure. The pieces he plays were written expressly for him by the first composers. I mean, what do you make of this? Did you know the 17 and 1800s had so many automatons? I think when I hear this, I think of uh, the movie, <laughs> The Clash of the Titans, the original. With the, the, the owl. With the mechanical <laughs> owl, yes. <laughs> and then I started thinking of other movies. I'm like, man, why do these old movies have all these old uh, these automatons in them? Like, Because people often love them. <laughs> Apparently, and, and then and then and the world reading, storm. And then reading about them, I'm like, why don't we have any more now? Like, I want to see these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, why would we let the automatons go away? <laughs> Bring them back. I want to hear the flute and, and snare drum. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, is the flute player or trumpeter the better automaton in your opinion? Well, and well, maybe this might impact you, Johann Malzell was friends with Beethoven. Is that what, what that means by it was written expressly I think by the first composer? Yeah, I think that's a reference to Beethoven. Because in an, another automaton that he made, Beethoven wrote a piece for it. What? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the trumpeter is might be the better one just because I know uh, making 
sound on a trumpet is much harder than on a flute. Oh, they're throwing down <laughs> brass versus woodland? Yep. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> Next in the fray is the Pan Harmonicon made by Joseph Girk. There seems to be a bit of a debate if Girk. There seems to be a bit of a debate on if Girk or Malzell made the Pan Harmonicon, which with a name like that sounds like it's going to summon the demons from the Evil Dead movies, but Girk's boasted a whopping 210 instruments that played pretty much an entire orchestra in and of itself. Is the Pan Harmonicon better than the previous winner, the trumpeter? Um it sounds good on paper, but um, what did it sound like? Just a blaring of horns and drums. <laughs> but the the whole point of a of like pipe organs is to do that. You know, you have different stops to give it different um, um, timbres. So it, tech, theoretically, they should sound like different instruments too. So I don't think the panharmonicon is all that impressive, unless they have one here for me to listen to, and it's like, oh wow, it really does sound like a, a whole orchestra. Mm-hmm. And then I also tried to look up a picture of it, and I kept getting Magic the Gathering cards. Yes, yeah. I, be- I believe it took Girk like 10 years to make this thing, too. It was a labor of love. I am reminded of... There is a guy on YouTube, uh, Winter Gatan, who's making like these mechanical uh, instruments that play with marbles. Marbles? Yeah. Like, he's got a bunch of marbles that go through the machine, and then they come out, and they'll hit some random instrument that's built into the machine, and it'll play, like, a tune or something. It's it's wild stuff. Oh, my stuff. God. How do you even calculate the marbles he, timing? He, he has a whole series of videos of just showing him working through it and, and doing all the tweaks and, and going back and changing what went wrong or whatever. It's, it's wild. My Lord. Maybe we need to have him on this list. We need <laughs> need to raise that Oxford graduate back from the dead and have him write him in this book. Yep. The final entrant in this gauntlet is Flight and Robson's Paula Nikon, an automatic playing machine with nearly 2,000 pipes. I picture this thing starting up, and it's like Back to the Future where Marty plays his guitar in front of the, in front of the mega speaker, and it blows him across the room. <laughs> this, this thing <laughs> must have just blown people's ears apart. Uh, what do you think of the Apollo Nikon? I feel like like every new one is like trying to be, <laughs> outdo the previous yeah, one. It's like, now I'm going to put on more pipes. Yep, and... Just just more pipes. <laughs> it's like the Tim Allen, uh, 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 the tool man of, of automatons. Yeah. More power. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is crazy. Does this one beat the whatever is winning? I can't think of it. The, <laughs> the, trumpet. the trumpeter. The trumpeter. Does this beat the um, trumpeter? I think I think in this case, um, you know, simple is better. And by simple, I mean it's not. I don't think it's simple to mimic a trumpet player playing music. Whereas making an instrument that sounds like other things is is relatively simpler. I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll see. We'll see now that we know that the trumpeter is your prized automaton. We'll see how it goes in the end. <laughs> we shall see if the Oxford graduate is right in comparing these. To the mightiest of automatons, the mechanical Turk. The story goes that Wolfgang von Kempelen of Hungarian descent found himself in the service of the Habsburg Empire Angel. He got to see the Habsburg jaw with his own eyes. In 1769, he was invited by the Empress 
Maria Theresa to witness experimentations on magnetism by a Frenchman named Francois Pelletier, which were being shown to the imperial court according to the 1819 book by that unknown Oxford graduate. Other sources say this was a magic show being put on. So really, does this confirm, Angel, that magnets are just magic? <laughs> well, don't tell science communicator and part-time Thor impersonator Kyle Hill this. But yes, <laughs> magnets he, are he magic. Gets, he gets heated about <laughs> comparing magnets to magic. <laughs> the, the Empress asked Compellin to explain what was going on, but... Seemingly unimpressed by what he saw, Compellin said told the Empress that in six months he could make a machine that could do better than whatever the hell Pelletier did because I guess no one decided to record what actually occurred, so we have no idea what magic show happened. <laughs> do you think, Angel, that Compellin had no idea what was going on or how to explain it, so he just said to the Empress, I could friggin' build a machine that can do better tricks as a way to get out of the situation. Yeah, I think there's something going on like that. I think, you know, because there's a lot of magnet stuff going on back then. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were using were it hot, to, hot to hypn yeah, hypnotize and all that stuff. So he, maybe he didn't know what was going on, but maybe he under, was under the impression that it was like a magic show. And he knew maybe about how magic shows work or illusion shows. And he's like, well, I can, mm -hmm. I can build a device that can do some... Some stuff. Do some magic. Yep. Six months later, Compellin brought in the automaton chess player and wowed the puffy shirts and pants off the court. <laughs> At the beginning of each showing, Compellin would open the Mechanical Turk to reveal a cornucopia of gears and mechanical bits to show off the inner workings. He would make a grand show of preparing the Turk, such as placing a pillow under the wrist of the arm that was used to move the pieces. Our Oxford graduate book describes the motions of the Turk as performed with perfect correctness and the dexterity with which the arm acts especially in the delicate operation of castling seems to be the result of spontaneous feeling begins at the shoulder elbow and knuckles and cautiously avoiding the to touch any other piece than that which is to be moved nor ever making a false move angel put yourself in the Habsburg court there are inbreds all around you and they have grotesque jaws you see this mechanical man playing chess what the heck do you do i draw my sword <laughs> you start slashing at it like what is the sorcery kill the demon <laughs> and then and then the half too for for their grotesque jaw the inbreds i'm sure they had superhuman strength that's how they kept their power yes no one could beat them. They had probably the blood of Charlemagne in them, too. The book reads on. After a move made by its antagonist, the automaton remains for a few moments only inactive as if meditating its next move upon which the motion of the left arm and hand follow. On giving check to the king, it moves its head as a signal. When a false move is made by its antagonist, which frequently occurs through curiosity to observe in what manner the automaton will act, as, for instance, if a knight be made to move like a castle, the automaton taps impatiently on the chest. With its right hand, replaces the knight on its former square, and not permitting its antagonist to, to recover its his move, proceeds to move one of its own pieces, thus appearing to punish him for his inattention. Angel, 
Beyond that being the longest sentence ever written, the mechanical the mechanical Turk knows when you cheat. How do we have a moving mechanical man playing chess in the seven in seventeen seventy that knows when people cheat? It's like Archimedes reborn. Is <laughs> is Kempelen reincarnated Archimedes? <laughs> is that our only option at this point? And he had be. all of his memories still. <laughs> Was Archimedes a Martian? <laughs> he uh, resurrected on Earth twice? <laughs> yes. Those immortal Martians that are reincarnated. Oh, that was a crazy news article. Over time, Kempelen grew a bit tired of showing off the Mechanical Turk and indeed dismantled the thing so that people would just stop asking to see it because he wanted to focus attention on other inventions like the freaking steam engine head that mimicked human language. That's pretty hardcore. <laughs> Eventually, though, he put the thing back together at the behest of Emperor Joseph II and in 1781 was pretty much ordered by the emperor to travel around Europe to show it off to rich people. Can you imagine being an inventor? You make some grand invention and people love it, but you, you grow to despise it because it takes time away from things that you actually want to do. Is this the modern day equivalent of bands that have a mega hit and people only want to hear that one song over and over again and then they boo you because you don't play it? Uh, definitely, yes. <laughs> Is this like Europe in the final countdown? <laughs> <laughs> or Or... Or uh, The Simpsons, Bart, uh, Bart song. <laughs> I didn't do it. Yep. <laughs> say, say the thing. Do the thing. <laughs> <laughs> say the line. Oh, that's exactly that. But with a robot chess player in the 1700s. My God. What a, what a world we have lived in. <laughs> it's crazy. During the shows, Kempelen had a small wooden box that he would place on top of the playing cabinet and would make a big scene of looking into it. It was reported that upon seeing this, one woman ran from the Mechanical Turk as she believed some sort of evil spirit possessed the machine. Angel, is this thing cursed? No, because nobody's died yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) He still has time to thrust his metal arm through somebody's (laughs) skull. Berate him long enough. Mm -hmm. If you made a machine that was powered by an evil spirit, what would it be? A computer. Like a ghost in the machine? Yeah. <laughs> what would your computer do? Just a normal like desktop PC? I think, I yeah, it's just, it, I think it would just um, like do annoying things. Like you're moving the mouse and then the mouse cursor just moves the other way. And you're like, what? And it does this at random. So you're like not sure what's going on. Are you just like malware? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so what type of evil spirit would you use to power your malware? <laughs> the The minor kind is a minor demon you don't want to go for the mega demons that's right (laughs) too powerful they'll take over the computer does your demon have a name maui (laughs) maui like the rock and moana (laughs) (laughs) no maui Another movie reference. Eventually, the life of touring with this automaton chess player was, was too much for Compellin, and he died in 1804, seemingly exhausted. So where did our extremely cursed and demon-riddled mechanical Turk go? Because, Angel, we have a dead body now. 
God. The Mechanical Turk then passed hands to Capellan's son, who then in turn sold it to none other than the so-called inventor of the automaton trumpeter and, pan- and the panharmonicon, Johann Malzell. At one point in time, Malzell did attempt to purchase the Mechanical Turk, but the asking price of 20,000 francs was too rich for his blood, as the idiom goes. So after Compellan's death, he ends up buying it for 10,000 francs. Who was the worst salesman here, Angel, Compellan or his son? Was the uh, Compellan trying to sell it for the 20,000? Yeah. And he and never get, sold it. Yeah. So he only sold it, it only got sold after his death. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Shouldn't, shouldn't that increase the value? He's dead. The original inventor is dead. That's, that's what I was thinking. So maybe maybe the son is the worst salesman. <laughs> Sells it for half the price. <laughs> yeah. You should have said the original guy's dead. This thing's mm-hmm. a, a, a you know and rare I'm the only one that knows its secrets. Yeah, a rare artifact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know how to decurse it. <laughs> you I didn't know the secret word. <laughs> I tried to convert the value of 1800s francs to today's U.S. dollar, which proved to be actually quite difficult, but it is my understanding that would have been around $250,000 today. So That's, that's the 10,000 francs? Yeah. It's, it's a lot of money. <laughs> Are you Mario over there? It's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Upon delving deep into the innards of the Mechanical Turk and revealing its secrets, Malzell decided to bring these show back on the road and indeed claimed that he invented the contraption. Do you know of anyone else ballsy enough to claim that he invented something when he clearly did not? I mean, this thing was traveling around Europe for years with Compellan, and now this dude buys it and is like, yeah, I made this. Uh, was he doing this in Europe still? Because yeah, I feel like people would have seen him and I'd be like, "Are you sure it's, it was you?" Because I remember another guy. Yeah, it's only been like four years after he died that he started touring. Man, people's memories back then, jeez, <laughs> they were they were as bad as mine. <laughs> Worse even. Like, apparently, everyone forgot the mechanical Turk existed, and like he brings it out going, like, "Oh my god, <laughs> what is this <laughs> like, <it's> invention?" <laughs> Well, apparently no one cared because they just wanted to see the thing play chess. Chess was life. And then you add a demon-fueled robot playing chess. This thing was probably forged in hell at Hephaestus Anvil next to the River of Flame. Malzell did make some improvements on the machine by giving the monster chess player a voice box. So it could exclaim, a check, meaning check in French. It said words. <laughs> Eventually, Malzell brought the Mechanical Turk and his automaton trumpeter to America for a grand tour until Malzell's death in 1838, and eventually passed into the hands of several others until the popularity of the automaton waned, and people just did not care that about a machine that could play chess. On July 5th, 1854, the Mechanical Turk moved its last chess piece as it was destroyed in a fire in Philadelphia. Impossibly the greatest part of this story, Angel. It is reported that John Mitchell, the owner of the Turk at the time, had heard through the struggling flames the last words of our departed friend, the sternly whispered, oft repeated syllables, a shek, a shek. <laughs> Angel, it's like it knew it was burning. What do you make of the final words of the mechanical Turk? I think, it, yeah, it's like you said, it realizes its mortality and 
<laughs> and he's trying to check check people. <laughs> send dying. out it's, it's a final a final message to anyone who can listen. Uh-huh. I am alive, and now I am gone. I like to imagine that the with the flames in it burning, like the a shack was like garbled or like <laughs> elongated somehow, and like it made dying, it sound sad. Like a dying Furby. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> So, uh, how exactly did this thing work? Many believed it was exactly what it was, a machine that could move on its own with no human control needed. Others believed that Kempelen and Malzell controlled the machine remotely somehow. Or were they all deceived, Angel? And in the darkness was something more sinister. It is disputed as to if this part ever happened, but part of the story goes that even Frederick the Great, King of Prussia, was so enthralled by the Mechanical Turk that he paid an exceedingly large sum of money to Compellin to reveal the secret of how it worked. Once Frederick found out the inner secrets, he never told another soul what magic lay within, (laughs) but was reportedly disappointed to learn how the machine worked. (laughs) So, Angel, I need you to dig deep, reclaim one of your oldest Akka's that has ever been bestowed upon you. Become, once again, the masked magician and reveal the secrets of the Mechanical Turk. How did this thing work? Earlier in my description of the Mechanical Turk, I said it was a box shaped uh, looked to, to look like a desk. It had cabinets. You open it up, you can see the gears and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out those gears were not functional at all. They were just there for what? show. <laughs> and apparently there was a, a space in there large enough to fit a person. And so the idea was that a person would be in hidden in that box and controlling the mechanical Turk from within with his own version of a little chessboard. So it would have to be somebody that actually knows how to play chess and play it well. In fact, I think there's uh, one 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 guy that one of the players was considered a grandmaster by people who, uh, I guess, reviewed the fact the the, the, the mm-hmm. kind of games that he played. Can you imagine being a grandmaster of chess and your life <laughs> devolves to playing chess Just in a box? Ch- <laughs> it's it's my understanding that um Compellin would um get these people that are like uh down down on their luck and it's like, hey, you want to make a quick buck or two? <laughs> They've and hit he'd hard pay them. times. I can put you in a box, man. <laughs> put you in a box, put you to work. You can play chess upside down <laughs> with magnets. <laughs> That's 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 an impressive feat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still it's still impressive that because the, the 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 Turk mannequin thing still had to be connected and mm-hmm. and work and so that the, yep. yeah so the person had to move it so that's that's still pretty cool, but it had no brain it was a person controlling it. Yep, no AI, <laughs> son of a gun. And uh, <laughs> another story I read was uh. I don't remember if this was uh, when it if it if this is when it exchanged hands, but um, it went. They went down to Cuba yeah. to to try to uh, showcase the thing, but the the chess player ended up getting sick and died. And and then the guy uh, that was running the 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 mechanical Turk, since he didn't have a chess player anymore, he went back to where he came from. I think it was Boston or something. I don't remember. And then he became alcoholic and then died from alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think maybe the thing is cursed. <laughs> no, no. I think that specifically happened with Malzell. Yeah. At least his his uh, chess player died 
I think of yellow fever, and then he, and then Malzell died on the boat. <laughs> he, was like, he was confused, like, how am I going to ever get another chess player? And he died on the boat. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it is cursed. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so, anything else that you wanted to add before we head into the rubric of power, the collector's edition and the long-awaited return of that rubric? Yes, I do have, actually, one more thing to add. Um, another well-known story is Edgar Allan Poe saw this thing. And he, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's connected to all these stories, isn't he? And he was very vehemently uh, uh, against believing this thing was real. He knew this thing was a fake. And he endeavored to figure out how it worked. <laughs> it really, it, this thing pissed him off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Edgar Allan Poe, you know, he was... He was like, no, 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 this thing. Uh, and he, he wrote a whole essay on it. I'm not going to talk about that. I am going to talk about the fact that apparently uh, because of this, he created a, a character in his writing called C. Augusta Dupin or Dupin. I don't know how you say it, who is uh, an exceptionally amazing detective while the, his assistants, <laughs> while his assistants are not that great. And, and he solves mysteries. And, debunk shit <laughs> yeah and apparently this detective character but created by edgar Allan poe was also an influence for sherlock holmes's character wow 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 and so i took it upon myself i said i feel inspired and i want to kind of recreate that moment too so mm-hmm. by virtue of of poe and 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 uh, Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's influence. I too am creating my own detective character, who's surrounded by bumbling Jesus idiots. <laughs> and I, I wrote a short scene, a little screenplay, and I'll read it to you. It starts off with interior, in an apartment at night, a clean apartment with a dead body face down in front of a desk. Two police officers are standing around talking amongst each other. Officer number one, the detective will be here shortly. What do we tell the CSI? Officer number two says, what is there to tell? There's a dead body, no blood, no sign of force entry. Guy looks like he died naturally. Do we really need the detective? And at that moment, enter Night Horse. (laughs) Night Horse? (laughs) Bursts into the door and he says, I'll tell you why, officer. That man there, and he points to the corpse with his hoof, has been murdered. (laughs) Clops in. Clops in. <laughs> Officer one says, Night horse, how do you figure? Night horse says, He looks at the wall along the wall and says, There. It's on the shelf. <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> Go search. <laughs> he says, Go search the shelf. <laughs> Officer two says, Oh, come on, night horse, the shelf. Don't you think we and the night horse gallops at full speed and stomps on the second police officer? <laughs> it gallops to the crime scene and kills a man. <laughs> he, just, he says, never question the detective officer. Besides, it's quite elementary. Night horse eyes, <laughs> night horse eyes the desk. Check the desk. It is, in fact, a coverly disguised mechanical Turk box. <laughs> the police officer is still unconscious. End scene. Was the killer inside the mechanical Turk? 
We'll have to find we'll, out in the we'll next season. The next episode of, of Night Horse. Man. <laughs> this, is, this is an old horse. He like, was back in early Detroit and now he's solving crimes modern day. Oh, he's, he's tired. He's, he's close to retirement, I bet, too. Maybe this is a descendant. He takes on the Night Horse moniker. Oh, sort of like the mantle of Batman or something like that. <laughs> Wow. So, <laughs> thank you for that. Now that we know what we now know about the Mechanical Turk, is the previous gauntlet winner, the, the trumpeter, Malzell's trumpeter, still the best automaton, or is the Mechanical Turk? Well, given that the trumpeter is an actual automaton, <laughs> the Mechanical default. Turk is a, it's a hoax. I think the trumpeter ah, wins. Son of gun. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe our next automaton will be a real one. <laughs> See how the Malzell's trumpeter fares against it. Now, hold well, I think, on. I think your... in the end, Malzell ended up winning no matter uh, what. Yeah. <laughs> he would have won either way. Well, <laughs> I mean, he died in a boat. Is he the winner? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depressed. <laughs> hold on to your butt. Grab those cheeks. Because we are returning, at, returning after such a long time to the Rubric of Power Collector's Edition. Tell me, Angel, what do you have for the lore of the Mechanical Turk? So, we've discussed all the the Edgar Allan Poe thing, the stories of Malzell and Von Kempelen mm-hmm. and, and, and these things. There's also... He was a count. He was a count. Yeah. And there's also a story of Napoleon yep. battling this this thing. And he would he would uh, try to try to mess with it. And the and the and the mechanical Turk would would, in frustration, just swipe off all the other pieces off the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like specifically he he did the same move three times in a row, and, and like they were illegal moves. And then yeah, the Turk just like flipped the table basically. He just slapped <laughs> all the pieces it. off the, ta- off the table. <laughs> and then like Napoleon laughs and's like, ha, 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 and now I'll play right. <laughs> Yeah, and then he still ended up losing, <laughs> and and I guess Napoleon, thinking this thing's a machine, was like, everything's cool. I don't mind losing to this thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think the lore behind it is is pretty fun. I'm sure there's more stories that I mm-hmm. I didn't run ac- come across. I give it a three. Okay, I'm gonna hit you with some some deep stuff, some deep cuts. Uh oh, because I think this is where the Turk shines. It was basically created to appease an empress after a magic show and then Mm -hmm. became a thing that traveled the western hemisphere angel this thing became a who's who of of who played against it Mm -hmm. the very first person it played against was count ludwig von cabenzel who angel the wikipedia page just throws this out there he was a member of the illuminati under (laughs) the name of Aryan. i mean what the hell is that (laughs) He was a member of the Illuminati. And oh, his no. name was Aryan. What? <laughs> Catherine the Great supposedly played against it. And, and when it went on tour of Europe, the first person who played against it was Charles Godfrey de la Torre de Avernay, the frickin' Duke of Bolian. 
So this guy, this guy uh, wasn't very awesome, uh, wasn't very special despite his awesome name and title, but apparently he had an affair with his stepmother, Louise <coughs> Henriette Francois de Lorraine, who is described as notably attractive. And, and I couldn't <laughs> let that description just, I couldn't leave that alone. So I wanted to find out more about this notably attractive woman who... <laughs> <laughs> who was described in the book Great Love Stories at, of the Theater by Charles Collins as being very pretty, rather tall than short, neither stout nor slender, an oval face, a broad forehead, black eyes and eyebrows, brown hair, very wide mouth, and very red lips. I mean, wow! <laughs> that is notably attractive. I, I guess. <laughs> she had... She had black eyes. What? <laughs> what the hell's going Very on? wide mouth. <laughs> a broad forehead. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. And was red... it a forehead or was it a five head? <laughs> I know. Where's Tyra Banks to, to rate her forehead? <laughs> it played. <laughs> Notably attractive. It played against famous chess players and even against the sex party orgy loving Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> and he loved it. <laughs> he loved playing this thing. You mentioned Napoleon, so like another uh, mega historical figure that it played against. I mean, it, it played uh, uh, everyone, everyone that was important at the time, it played. I found an article in the newspaper from the 1800s where an author claimed there was a man whose legs got cut off was inside the box controlling all the pieces. <laughs> There's a theory that there was a legless man inside the box. Oh my God. You mentioned... Edgar Allan Poe and how much he hated the damn thing, and he wrote an absurdly long essay about it. And then the guy who eventually bought the Mechanical Turk after Malzell's death was indeed Edgar Allan Poe's personal physician. So still got tied to Poe after Malzell died. So many people are interested in this thing and discuss discovering how it worked. It's nuts. We didn't really talk about the various chess players who were inside it too much, but one of them was a hunchback angel. <coughs> The one that died of yellow fever. He was a hunchback. <laughs> so, I mean, that makes it seem like some sort of movie plot, like a plot twist at this point. The lore yep. goes so deep that uh, people even made comments about how this thing must be a Turk because if it was a Christian, it would have played <laughs> King Pawn 1. It wouldn't have played King Pawn 1 against a lady. I mean, people were even racist against this chess-playing robot <laughs> in the 1800s. <laughs> So, I mean, I had to give it a four. A four, 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 four. Uh, <laughs> Queen's Rook four is what I gave it. <laughs> I do love how earlier the, the Oxford graduate called it a castle. <laughs> yeah. Instead of a rook. So I guess over time it's changed. I still call it a castle. What? <laughs> then you eat your friggin' mango skins and kiwi skins as you play chess. I'm going to start making uh, uh, pulled pork banana peels. <laughs> Our goddamn monster. How about <laughs> the properties of the Mechanical Turk? It's a table. It's not functioning. The Mechanical Turk itself is is not functioning until a human uses it. Does something. It. <laughs> so I guess, I guess it's useful when a human's in it. A two- <laughs> I mean, that's good. Uh, there's nothing paranormal about it besides like that woman that thought there were demons in it. <laughs> so I gave it a one. How about the 
functionality and purpose of the Mechanical Turk. So I think the functionality and purpose, I also said it was adequate, a two, because Whoa. because the, the, the purpose is to deceive the people into thinking mm-hmm. this is an actual <laughs> automaton that can beat people with chess. And apparently it did, but I also read that when it, at least in, in America, nobody believed this thing was was a mechanical thing. But they 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 figured it, there was somebody in there somehow controlling. It, they just didn't know how. Did they know it was a hunchback though? <laughs> they probably did not. Quasimodo's inside it. So what'd you give it? Uh, two. A two. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it had one purpose: to project this illusion that a machine was playing chess. I think it exceeded at that very well. However, even early on, there were people that thought that there was somebody hidden in the box. So, like you said, it did not fool everyone for functionality and purpose. Just because of the purpose being to trick people, I ended up actually giving a much higher score, a 3.27. Ooh. A very calculated score. How about now the craftsmanship of the Mechanical Turk? So, I think this is a uh, uh, very... Although we don't have any pictures of it, I don't think. There's drawings of it, like sort there's, of. There's, yeah, there's yeah. schematics or engravings, is what it. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, um, I think, I think that the craftsmanship is has to be high quality because this guy that created it is the one that's creating a bunch of different. Um, he's an he was an inventor, right? Yep. Um, he was making the steam engine had that spoke. That, that spoke <laughs> right. That's right, uh, and. Based on, on how it works and how it looks, the 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 mechanics required to make the the Turk follow the human hands and be able to mm-hmm. pick up the pieces, even if there's somebody controlling, I think the hand itself is is mechanical. So in the box, the guy has to like move something, and that's yeah. mimicking the the same the movement. movement. Yeah, the hand movement. And it's got to do all these precise movements with the hands. And not I think, touch any other pieces or get disqualified. Right. It, it, it's... I, I I wish I could see these things now. Why aren't we doing more automatons? <laughs> uh, I gave it a three. For being made in six months? <laughs> this thing is crazy. <laughs> uh, I especially love all the misdirection that Compellin put into the machine. Uh, I mentioned the box that he would put on top of the cabinet and then look into it, which made people believe the box had something to do with it. But it was just a box that he would look into to confuse people. <laughs> and then the woman thought, like, the box contained an evil spirit that controlled the thing. Uh, they were all over the place with what was going on with it. Uh, and I just think, like, dang, this was the 1700s. What what a time to witness this thing. And seeing it today would still be a, an amazing thing to see. Malzell made the thing a talk with just making it say check in French. <laughs> Apparently during games, people would ask it questions as well. And it was able to respond by moving its hand. So like some of the recorded questions that people asked were like, if it was married or how old it was. And then I think, why would you think this mechanical Turk is married? <laughs> <laughs> and why would you give, why would like, at that point, they were they confusing what they saw with a real person. <laughs> it, it's it's like it's like um, um, Kermit the Frog, where people always talk to the the Muppet and not to the man that's holding mm, the Muppet. Mm-hmm. Yep, I guess so. A proximity movie reference. <laughs> <laughs> 
So how about then? Oh, what did I give it in uh in craftsmanship? In craftsmanship, I gave it a four. How about now our final category of the rubric of power, the desirability of the mechanical tech. I'm just going to come out and say, I want this thing. <laughs> more than I the wa- Baghdad batteries? More than the ba- <laughs> I wanted this thing yesterday. Or more than, what was, uh, oh, the the cursed paintings. More than, a, you would want this more than a cursed painting? Yes. Wow. Definitely. Wow. I, but there's only uh, one condition. I need I need the mechanical Turk and I need the chess player. And that goes with it. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have to be hunchback? Um, as long as you can fit in the box. Oh, does it have to be legless? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that that must that's a definite must. Yeah, this is a four for me. Totally want one of these guys. Yeah. I mean the desirability people wanted to buy it. Like if we take Frederick the Great's story at face value, he paid secrets just to learn the secrets regarding <laughs> that involved in it. And he regretted it. <laughs> and then uh, I also saw that a man named John Gahan spent around $120,000 to make a new one in the 1980s. So there's a a modern day version of it out there. Where is this thing? I got to go see it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where it is currently. Somewhere in America. So I gave it a, in desirability, a 3.48, if you can believe <laughs> it. So where did you, what did you uh, total up to for the rubric of power for the mechanical Turk, the automaton chess player. 14. You were at a 14. I was at a 15.75. And that puts the mechanical Turk at a 14.875. Wow. Not a bad score for a mechanical Turk that was had a man inside playing chess. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the curse? It, it killed no one directly, just indirectly by its curse. <laughs> now, why did why did the why did the voice box say check in French? Why not a Turkish check? Uh, French sounds fancy. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe Malzell was French. I, I'm not positive. I don't think he was actually. It's a good question. I think maybe he just thought Americans would think it was fancy if it talked in French. Because <laughs> he did most of his, uh, a lot of his touring later in the day uh, in, in America. That's where he made most of his money. Maybe we need to start traveling with a fake automaton. <laughs> the um, Seeing that it was killed in Philadelphia, the first thing that I thought of was there was a, I think this was like maybe 2014 or 15, there was a robot that was i think it was called like the hitchhiking robot and it hitchhiked across the country until it goes perfectly fine started i think in on the uh, pacific coast and then eventually it made its way to philadelphia and then philadelphians killed it they destroyed they destroyed the hitchhiking robot (laughs) like apparently they hate automatons (laughs) in philadelphia it was a targeted fire burning back in 18, 1845. <laughs> so this thing, the Mechanical Turk, is the second highest scoring curio. Wow. What's our what's our highest? Our highest is the Crystal Skull. Dang. I mean, that one had aliens and, <laughs> uh, and Atlantis and a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, it had all the things. 
What if a mechanical Turk with a crystal skull? <laughs> if you, if you, it's like our, our, our I've completely forgotten court. about the amalgamation <laughs> corner. Um, if, if you did that, instead of like it flipping the table against Napoleon, it could have turned, uh, shot its laser eyes and <laughs> turned Napoleon into crystals. <laughs> I think I think if the, I think if the crystal skull was on it, I don't think there'd be a human player uh, in the box. No, because the, the crystal skull could do it on its own. <laughs> Wasn't there like a um, a psychic that spoke to it and it knew? And the, yeah, she the psychic spoke to used the, the aliens. aliens. Yeah, and the aliens like knew its favorite color too. Like, <laughs> was it purple or something? I, th- I was thinking it was green. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But <laughs> the fact that the skull had a favorite color is messed up. <laughs> oh god i'm sure why didn't they ask this crystal skull are you married how old are you <laughs> maybe they did it just wasn't recorded <laughs> in history want to feel like a mechanical turk go on to twitter and tweet at us at cracking curios and make sure to follow us as well and whenever you tweet make sure to include Maybe your favorite starting chess move. <laughs> pawn. The first pawn. You, you do first pawn one? <laughs> yes. I, 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 I don't play chess. <laughs> I'm more of a get the night out. Get, get the night out front. Right off the bat. Get, yeah, get the out. night out. I call, it, I, call it, I call it night's fall. <laughs> You call it what? I call it night's fall. Like night <laughs> night is coming. <laughs> you know the night the night on a chess on a chessboard is is typically this, uh, depicted as a horse. Night horse? <laughs> <laughs> night horse is, is chess lore now too. <laughs> and then he says on the shelf. <laughs> night horse plays chess on his off time. And then he so always if he's a grandmaster, he could be putting the mechanical Turk too. We just need a bigger box. Yes. <laughs> NBC, CBS, you guys have missing mean, out. Night Horse, I think, is the greatest uh, creation that this show has produced into the world. I don't remember how he started. <laughs> it's one of the back episodes. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll mention it in our Throwback Thursday tweets. Which we have been doing. I don't know if I should mention that again. <laughs> that we're just tweeting all the tweets. We're hella tweeting. Yeah, so make sure to get in on that action at Cracking Curios. We're doing Meme Mondays and uh, uh, Movie Suggestion Tuesdays. <clears throat> so and I'm, I'm going I'm to interrupt you here as you're going through these because <laughs> I literally, next to my leg, I, on, I, have to turn the, I have to turn the goddamn <laughs> thing off. This is going to blow your mind. I have literally next to my leg a a horse automatron oh kit. Oh my god! What did you plan have, for this? I have the night horse right here. You have the night horse automaton kit. Listen up, curiosities. Matt has just shown me that he has a a horse automaton kit, and he was saving it for the very end of this episode to to surprise me with this thing. I can't believe you have a night horse replica. <laughs> uh, all I need, it says, is sandpaper, 
a razor saw, scissors, and your favorite, glue. It has a difficulty bar. This one says expert. <laughs> and, and it's missing the final piece of the puzzle, which is a human to fit inside. <laughs> Into the... Is there a human inside Night Horse? <laughs> Maybe. Is Night Horse an automaton? <laughs> We're going to have to tune in to find out like on this non-existent <laughs> show. It's like a, he's like a mech. <laughs> like, like a Gundam. It's just like this, this sickly uh, teenage boy. And he's <laughs> like, oh, it's time for Night Horse. <laughs> he just jumps he like, into this mech thing. Makes like, uh, like, <laughs> like Prince Adam becoming He-Man. <laughs> like he's a scrawny guy and he becomes a, a horse. Yeah. By the power of the shelf, I am Night Horse. <laughs> anyway, we're on Twitter tweeting out every Monday. We're doing memes. We're doing uh, Tuesday, movie suggestion Tuesdays. Wednesdays, we're linking to some old 1800s newspaper articles that would uh, tickle your fancy, maybe. Thursdays, we recommend an old episode of ours because... We have enough to do that. And Fridays, we like to Photoshop our favorite, uh, not a sponsor, uh, Jonathan Frakes. And if he's ever listening, maybe he'd like to take a look at our tweets and, and like one of them and say, yeah, you guys keep doing what you're doing. And then on Saturdays, you guys get to learn about Matt. We get Matt mm. facts. Yeah. <laughs> so exciting. What we're not doing is doing those things on Instagram. Because on Instagram, we're going to be posting pictures of stuff eventually. <laughs> Make sure to follow us on Instagram. I, mean, I heard Instagram just closed. And then <laughs> there's no more Instagram. So <laughs> Make sure to follow us at, at Cracking Cryptids on Instagram. And uh, make a clamor if you guys want to see more more stuff, more media content from us. And you can also send us some emails at crackingcryptidsandcurios at gmail.com. That's crackingcryptidsandcurios, all words, at gmail. The ad is not a word, dot com. And most importantly, if you're not subscribed to, list to, to us on your favorite podcast platform, then I don't know how you're even hearing this. But you probably are. <laughs> But your friends aren't, so let them know that we are on this on any uh, platform that hosts podcasts, because we're everywhere now. At least that that's what they tell me. Like a virus. <clears throat> we're <laughs> angel. We're like herpes. <laughs> like my pillows. <laughs> You're composed. So. <laughs> Uh, sidebar here your composer pillows could have been involved in the trumpeter yeah <laughs> or or in the mechanical turk because mm -hmm. he puts the pillow under the guy's wrist the turk's wrist for some reason <laughs> i don't i didn't i didn't understand that like how that that was a, a uh, feat so i think it was all a show to give the person inside more time to switch compartments oh yeah okay <laughs> Uh, Anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs>
pillow, just like anticlimactic like, pillow reveal. <laughs> just like the guy who found out how the thing worked. It's yep. like ah oh, shit, I paid money for that. <laughs> it's a good thing every all of our curiosities listen to the very very end because they wouldn't be getting all this stuff, all this content, free content. Finally, there's no more stuff for me to plug, so I just end the podcast by telling you all that goodbye. I love you. You're not tucking anyone in anymore? No, nobody gets tucked in. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. I want hot dogs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs>